Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, January 4th, and we're talking about all things Apple. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com tech specialist Evan New on the phone. Evan, what's going on? Tired, man. Dealing with all this house stuff. You've had New Year's. <laughs> a rough start to 2019, huh? Yeah, just dealing with like a handful of house repairs, just stuff breaking. Had to buy a new refrigerator, and was not planning on spending an extra couple thousand dollars on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all to say that maybe 2019, the rest of 2019, will be nice for you, nice and relaxed, no home troubles, because you've gotten everything taken care of in the first four days of 2019. <laughs> Knock on wood, hopefully. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, maybe we're hoping that the rest of 2019 goes a little bit better for Apple. Huh? It's been kind of a rough start to the new year for them as well. Yeah, so they they released a letter to shareholders, which is kind of a rare move. that They don't really use the shareholder letter format, but Tim Cook, CEO Tim Cook put out a letter earlier this week uh, with a lot of really bad news. They, they drastically slashed their guidance for the December quarter. Uh, now they're expecting about $84 billion. Now, they initially expected to have uh, 89 to $93 billion in revenue in the fourth quarter. So we're talking about a $7 billion miss compared to the midpoint of that guidance. Uh, while most of the other items of other forecasts are pretty much unchanged or only like a little bit different. Uh, so gross margin, for example, is another important one that's within the guidance range at 38%. But operating margin will be will take a hit because of the revenue hit uh, shortfall. Uh, so operating margin will probably be in this twenty eight percent range, whereas a year ago they did thirty percent. So, yeah, and the sticker figure that everyone's looking at here is that seven billion. I mean, for them to be walking back, we're obviously happy that they issued this letter and gave us this heads up that's happening. But even when I saw, you know, there is a letter coming from management for Apple, it's like I'm bracing myself for this because I think it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's it's re- it's like uh, getting broken up with. You don't want the hey, we need to talk. You know, it, it rarely signals something good is coming, Evan. Yeah, and they halted trading after hours, which was kind of like, whoa, what's coming? <laughs> what what news is coming? <laughs> then they you know dropped this bombshell, and then of course the the shares tank immediately, and then the next day the whole market tanks. <laughs> Yeah, and and of course the market will sell off as Apple sells off, just because it is such a large component of the S and P 500. Any concerns that are felt there, because they are such a huge multinational with hands in so many different markets, might signal some uncertainty for other companies, and investors might worry a little bit about that. Some of the stuff that we saw in this report uh, that led to this walk down in terms of guidance was stuff that the company was anticipating. Some of it wasn't. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see that blend here with the forecast and where we wound up. Right. So you know when they talked about guidance back in November when they gave earnings, you know they mentioned a lot of headwinds that they're facing. You know like weakness in emerging markets, uh, tough comparisons related to the timing of channel fills since the flagship iPhones this year launched a little bit earlier compared to last year, and uh, foreign exchange rates uh, challenges. So you know some of the stuff they knew coming, but you know the big one was that that they did not expect the magnitude of was was that piece on emerging markets, uh, particularly China. Uh, so I, the iPhone sell, iPhone sales in China have basically just been really terrible, and you know it's responsible for basically the entire shortfall. And the Chinese economy has been slowing quite a bit recently. President Trump's ongoing trade war doesn't really help and you know, creates a lot more uncertainty and is also hurting their economy and and, and of course ours too. <laughs> uh, you know, so Tim Cook also said the retail traffic at Apple stores in China as well as channel partners was declining, you know, and also beyond the, uh, emerging markets, even in developed markets. 
upgrade activity was really weak because you know th- they've had this battery replacement program in place for about a year, uh, which just ended by the way. <clears throat> but you know uh, that that basically allowed people to get these super cheap battery replacements because of you know if you remember a year ago there was all this backlash about Apple slowing down phones to preserve battery life, but people didn't like the fact that they're slowing down the phones, so they you know have this this program so you can get a new battery for like 30 bucks and then on top of that you have ios 12 which was released a few months ago and ios 12 had massive performance improvements on specifically on older devices so between you know if you have an an older iphone between getting a new ios that's dramatically improves your performance and then getting a super cheap battery your phone just got a new lease on life so you don't really need to upgrade as badly and I think we're finding more and more people are in that camp of not feeling like they need to upgrade quite as quickly. Um, we're seeing, by and large, that the upgrade cycles for most phones are really getting extended out. You know, so so many people used to be on this. I have a subsidy, so every two years I'm getting a new device. We're seeing more and more that the upgrade cycle is lengthening. It's getting close to about three years now, I think, for a lot of consumers. All right, the average uh, upgrade cycle in the U.S. is approaching three years. Um, carriers are now, you know, testing out and rolling out three-year installment plans and leases. So, yeah, I mean, that's where the market's heading, um, and, and that's not good news for Apple. And I think what makes this so hard for the market in trying to understand what's going on with this business is that Apple isn't going to be giving us the very granular look at the iPhone segment that we've gotten in the past. You know, we used to have this great breakout of units and average selling prices. Those are the two components that make up overall segment revenue. We're not getting that anymore. Right, and it's almost like they're adding insult to injury because it's like, you know, they said in November they're going to stop giving this data, and now they're saying, hey, this is, you know, this is what's happening with our iPhone business. So right now, investors are like, hey, we want to know what's going on, but we're not going to really be able to to have that type of detail and insight because, you know, that ASP number is 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 like the closest thing that investors have to get a, a sense of the product mix. It's like your only proxy to get any idea because they don't really tell you. And it's extremely important, particularly because pricing has been such a core piece of their growth strategy over the, over the past year. So that average selling price metric is even more important. And you know, if you do the math, you know, the iPhone revenue for in the fourth quarter, or, or Apple's fiscal first quarter, whatever you want to call it, will be about $52 billion. Uh, which is down 15% year over year. And that really directly undermines Apple's argument that unit sales are not relevant anymore. Because when they said that you know, earlier this year, or a few months ago, they basically said, hey, look, our revenue is fine. Units don't matter. But now revenue is down 15%. So clearly, units do matter. Yeah. And also, you've seen so much discounting recently with iPhones and so many promotions to try to get people upgrading. I think Tim Cook even said that something that they're going to be focusing on more is how can they get people to trade in old devices to move to more recent issuances. If you're seeing all that going on, it's obviously going to have some impact on average selling prices. Right. And like they've been doing all these promotions, they've even reportedly moved people off of, you know, you know to focus more on iPhone marketing and they're just doing trying like pull all these little levers that they can to boost unit sales. And I mean, it's clearly not working that well. If there is a bright spot out of this letter and out of the update to guidance that we've gotten, it's that some of the other segments are still performing pretty well. Unfortunately, we were expecting that. There isn't really a big positive surprise there. 
Right. So, I mean, there are a couple of little silver linings here. I mean, they're, they're going to report record revenue in services, wearables, and Mac. Uh, so, those are three important businesses. Uh, they also expect to report all-time record earnings per share, but that's primarily a function of just buybacks and earnings accretion. Uh, and, you know, Tim Cook said that revenue, excluding iPhone, was up 19%. So, that's a nice number on paper, but it's really not nearly enough to offset the weakness in the iPhone just due to the size discrepancy of these businesses. I mean, last fiscal year, the iPhone was a $170 billion business. Uh, in fiscal 2018, which is over 60% of total revenue. So, I mean, any weakness there is is going to hurt. You mentioned the services segment. This is something that management's been focusing on quite a bit recently. Uh, we have a news item also coming out recently uh, that is going to impact the services segment, and that is uh, that reports came out that Netflix is killing its subscription support for iTunes billing and removing the ability for people to subscribe in app. This doesn't seem like a big deal. Um, it kind of is. Right. So Netflix has been testing, you know, te- quote unquote, testing out this new process uh, since August, where in certain markets they're you know, re- redirecting new and returning users uh, to sign up outside of their app, um, you know, which is essentially, you know, Obviously, a way to bypass Apple's tax of you know, 15 to 30 percent, and now they're adopting the policy more broadly. So you know, they had also it's also worth noting that they had killed off Google Play billing back in May. So basically, on all mobile platforms, they're saying you know go sign up outside of the app, um, and then you can use the app to access the service. But we're tired of paying <laughs> all this money to Google and Apple. <laughs> yeah, and it's not an insignificant amount of money. I think for the first year, it's like 30% and then drops down to 15% in subsequent years. That's a no-brainer for Netflix to start to move off of that. Right. So, um, they changed that structure back in 2016. So, yeah, it's 30% in the first year, and then any subscription that's over a year old uh, goes to 15%. So, that encourages developers to have these long-term relationships. And Netflix is such a you know, popular service that everyone has it and probably has had it for a long time. Uh, and according to third-party estimates from Sensor Tower, Netflix grossed roughly $850 million in 2018 through the iOS App Store. So Apple's cut of that would be somewhere between $130 and $260 million, depending on how long those subscriptions have been active. And it's worth, you know, some people have said that's, you know, that Apple's going to start losing that money. But, I mean, that cut isn't necessarily at immediate risk from the change because it really depends on if people change their billing method. Because existing people that are using iTunes as their existing billing method can keep it. So, this really only affects new and returning users. And most people don't really care what billing method they have because it's all the same to them. So, the average person isn't going to go, oh, hey, I want to save Netflix some money. Let me go change where I'm signed up for the service because it's a little inconvenient and they just don't care. So I don't think there's a huge risk to Apple in terms of the money they're already getting, but certainly it's a you know it, it's a blow to them going forward because they won't get any cut of new you know new subscriptions that they could have been getting through the iOS app store. Yeah, this was really easy money for them to collect too, which I think is why it's just like a little twist of the knife uh, based on all the other news that we're seeing. Of course, the US is a very saturated market for Netflix, and there aren't too many apps out there that really have the clout that Netflix does to be able to pull this off. You know, the reason that Apple can take that 30 to 15% is the fact that they create a massive platform and massive reach for all these developers that otherwise, you know, would probably have a lot of trouble distributing what they're creating. Right, and and I think for Netflix, you know, they're basically shifting from growth to f- profitability because you know they're they're everywhere in the U.S. and everyone has it, so it's not as if they really need that extra exposure distribution because they're such a ubiquitous you know, you know service in the United States that everyone is so familiar with it. So I don't think they're you know really giving up a lot in terms of like 
growth opportunities within the App Store. And on the international front, uh, they're still growing members quite a bit internationally, but international is much less profitable, so expanding international margins is also a good thing for them. So for Netflix, this is more money for doing what they're already doing, probably. Uh, it won't put a ton of money at risk for Apple unless Netflix badgers the heck out of people to make the switch <laughs> in their billing, which maybe they'll do. You know, maybe they'll make that push on the interface if they think that there's enough money there for it to be worthwhile. Um, last but not least, Evan, we have one more piece of Apple news, and this just came out, I believe, today, uh, maybe yesterday, uh, and that is the German iPhone ban, which sounds super ominous, but it really ties to some older models for Apple. Right. So as part of you know their ongoing battle with Qualcomm, which is entering about the second year now, they've been just fighting with Qualcomm all over the world. The latest development is this court order in Germany banning certain iPhone models from being sold. Uh, Qualcomm alleges that Apple is infringing on some of their patents around power-saving technology. So the the two specific models that are being affected are iPhone 7 and iPhone 8. And you know the court has sided with Qualcomm for the time being. Uh, Apple is certainly appealing and is exploring ways to circumvent the disputed areas with software updates. But yeah, it's just another headwind for the iPhone business right when like Apple seems to be getting all these things going wrong. I mean, like this Netflix thing, which might get other people to start you know, doing the same thing, to, which could hurt their services momentum. And then the China iPhones, German iPhones, <laughs> and this list keeps growing. Apple could use some good news. And I think as shareholders, you and I are both hoping that that happens. How are you feeling these days as someone that owns Apple stock? Uh, I'm still feeling okay. I mean, the stock is still just so cheap and it's always been cheap and I mean, certainly. I mean, not not good to see coming off forty percent off the all time high from October. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not super worried about it. Uh, you know, I mean, one other aspect of it is that, like, with this slowdown on on the iPhone business, I I I don't understand why everyone is so surprised at. It. I mean, there's been so many signs that this business had been slowing down uh, for years. I mean, they hit peak iPhone units back in 2016. So that was like over two years ago that that, that iPhone unit volumes peaked. And they've basically been flat ever since, you know, adjusted for the seasonal quarters. But they've been flat ever since. All revenue growth has been coming from the price increases. It's clearly a limit on how high you can go. And Apple's been testing the limit. And it seems like we've hit that limit. And as we talked about earlier, upgrade cycles have been getting longer for years, just slowly creeping higher. And the global smartphone market's been stagnating a lot too. It's supposed to fall 3% this year. So, like, there's been all these signs coming up that, like, this doesn't surprise me, but the market seems really surprised. And, and even weirder is that Apple management seems surprised. <laughs> so, like, you know, they've been talking all like everything's rosy for so long, and all of a sudden they've dropped this bombshell, like it's caught them off guard. And that doesn't make sense to me. That just seems really weird. Like, why are they surprised about this? Yeah, the market reaction selling the stock off uh, about 9% or something like that the other day makes sense given the fact that, you know, they are writing down a significant amount of revenue that they were expecting to bring in. I am kind of surprised that this caught Apple management so off guard because they've been so good for so long. I, I think that Tim Cook and Co. Um, have really done an amazing job with so many different elements of their business. So, to see them not anticipate this when it seemed like a lot of the metrics were there um, was kind of surprising to me. I think it's partly more 
when it comes down to it, and this is just speculation, but it's probably just going to be about like how they communicated. I mean, it's probably like they knew it, but they just didn't tell investors, which is also kind of a crappy thing to not be transparent about things you're worried about. Because um, I, I mean, yeah, Tim Cook is too smart not to have seen this coming. So I think it's more like he saw it coming, but he just didn't tell us. <laughs> but I imagine that that would have worked into guidance. You know, like no, no company wants to issue guidance and then mid quarter or you know shortly before they wind up reporting results have to say, oh, you know that guidance we issued. Just kidding. You know that, that that's not what we <laughs> thought we were going to be delivering. Uh, so you know, no management team wants to do that. Um, you mentioned the stalled iPhone growth in the past reignited at times. For that to happen again, what do you think needs to come to this line? I think that's kind of the multi-billion-dollar question for this business right now. I think investors just have to accept that the iPhone business has basically peaked. And you know, and plus, I mean, prices prices have been going higher, and the I think the actual updates each year, are most most of them aren't that great. I mean, every now and then, like Face ID is really good, um, but you know, this year it was very incremental compared to last year. So when you combine these huge price increases with very you know increasingly incremental upgrades to the actual technology, that's a recipe for a slow upgrade cycle. And like, I don't know if they can ever break out of that because. I mean, are they going to start pulling back pricing and then, you know, start having bigger jumps in technology? I find that unlikely. So I think that people just have to accept that it's probably the peak, peaking business, but it's also a massive business. It's also hugely profitable for them. So there are worse things you know, that's happened. <laughs> yeah, there's certainly a lot of people that are happy with it. I mean, we were sitting around talking about this in editorial, and someone was pretty gloom and doom about the whole thing, and I looked around and. Everyone in the room had an iPhone, which I think just speaks to uh, how much they've penetrated the market and how loyal people are to it. You know, I made the point at the end of the conversation. Well, what are you going to switch to? And like, well, whenever the next iPhone is a reasonable price. And and I think that that's where a lot of people are. Um, where I think some of the recent lines have kind of fallen short is, you know, Face ID is a killer use for a lot of people, but it's not a massive form factor change. And we saw a huge upgrade shift when they launched those larger iPhones a couple of years back, and they got into more of the phablet space. I don't know what that next form factor upgrade looks like for them. I've seen these reports that people are coming out with these bending phones, uh, and there's some Chinese suppliers working on that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's where the smartphone industry is going, but if anything like that is coming, uh, Apple's got to be on top of it. Right. I mean, I trust them to keep up with you know what's going on in the market, but I just don't think that there's going to be this huge growth anymore. And you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's a hundred and seventy billion dollar business. I mean, on one product line, and they release like at most three phones a year. <laughs> you know, and I mean that's bigger than many many companies on one product. So, you know, the growth might be gone, but they can keep trying to grow these other areas. But meanwhile, stock is still so cheap that you know I'm not. Super worried about it. Yeah, I think that that's where a lot of people come to with this. Is you know there are a lot of folks who own either directly with Apple stock or indirectly through mutual funds that have a large exposure to Apple stock. Some position in this company, and what do I do with it at this point? You know, seeing them down around a seven hundred billion dollar market cap. Um, if you're looking at 2019 and saying that it might be kind of a volatile period. Um, you could do a lot worse than owning a stock that trades at ten times earnings. You know, those are the types of businesses that don't disappear when the market really struggles. 
And like, I think there's a good chance that the market's kind of overreacting and the, the sentiment is getting too negative. And quite frankly, I, I'm, I would even consider buying shares in this 140, 150 range. And I might even do so if I have a trading window open up anytime soon. Because like, it's just such a compelling value relative to their earnings power. And you know, when sentiment is so bad and the stock is 40% off the highs, we could be looking at a buying opportunity. And for all that we're talking about the top line and the struggle with sales, Earnings per share continues to chug along because they've been so good with capital allocation and buying back shares. And they still have like 120 small billion dollars to give back to, so that you know they're going to keep on buying that back the stock. That's going to keep driving up earnings per share. It's going to keep the valuation low. Let's hope so. Evan, thanks for hopping on today's show. Thanks for having me, listeners. That does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus@fool.com. Or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.